welcome to the very first episode of That's What I'm Talking About. I'm Mary Clay, and today I am joined by Casey Winters from Hello From Elsewhere. Welcome, Casey. Awesome. Thanks for having me. I'm so, so excited to be here. I love Lord of the Rings, so this is super exciting for me. Awesome. I'm so excited that you're excited, because that's what all this is about, is that I know nothing, and I'm going (laughs) to talk to people who know everything. (laughs) I don't know about know everything, but... A few things. <laughs> you certainly know more than I do, and that's the goal. Yeah, I when I say I know nothing about Lord of the Rings, I pretty much know nothing. So we're coming in blind to this then. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. That's so, so exciting. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's what makes it super exciting. It's it's really refreshing to come into something this epic with such a big such a big following and legacy and everything and and know nothing about i'm kind of jealous of you actually (laughs) it's so exciting yeah no that's why um yeah that's why i'm i'm really jealous when people are like oh yeah i've never read like the harry potter books and i'm like you should (laughs) because they're great and you can experience all this and we can talk about it (laughs) yeah like you get to experience all this magicalness for the first time and that's so amazing and i wish i was you (laughs) Cool. So uh, just to kick things off is the prologue, which essentially nothing happens. <laughs> it's a bit of a recap um, of like what happens in The Hobbit and yeah. then some extra stuff. Yeah, there's not a lot in there. Exactly. Yeah, I was about to say it's essentially a previously on The Hobbit. Yeah. I looked up the Sparknote summaries just to see what they would say because mm. I thought... Yeah, it's always interesting to see what summaries deem important enough to take note right. of. And the very first thing that Sparknote says about the prologue is dense with detail. <laughs> and that's so accurate because as I was reading this, I was slightly panicking right. because they're just Tolkien is just throwing out all of these names of, you know, kinds of hobbits right. and, and famous hobbits and lands and all this and other all about stuff. their pipe and, weed, if you want to know about that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so I was like, oh, no, this is going to go downhill fast because I'm going to lose track of who's who, where are we, right. what's happening. So in your experience... How important is it that I keep track of all of these different lands and, and people and, and whatnot? I, the thing I love about Lord of the Rings is that I feel like you can go as deep as you want to. But if you don't want to go that deep, you can still get so much out of the story. So I feel like it's really up to the reader, which is something that I love about it. I, su- I suspect that the the deeper I get into the books, I'll be able to pick up on those details that he drops earlier on and, and make those connections. But yeah. I mean, especially since I'm probably going to be, you know, just for preparing for this episode, I did a mixture of the audiobook and then the actual mm. book. And then I went back and kind of skimmed the chapter just once yeah. more. So I'm hoping to make those connections because I really enjoy all those details. And it really seems like that's where Tolkien excels as he has all these details. Yeah, for sure. I think that's that's his major interest in all of this is just creating a history and a culture and and a language of of the setting and i think that interests him far more than like even the story or the characters not to say he doesn't care about those but um for him really the world building is is top priority i think exactly side note how do you pronounce the author's name (laughs) so that's been up for debate uh the, the last I heard, um, and a lot of this came with the, the, the Tolkien movie, is that it's Tolkien, not Tolkien. But even people that have been fans for years have said Tolkien. So uh, I don't I don't know that I have any authority to say one way or another. I'll, I'll probably go back and forth in, in this episode. So 
Yeah, cool, cool. Anyway, so real quick, uh, before we move into the official, the first chapter, uh, I just want to talk about the last line of the prologue. And I highlighted it because it it made me pause and think like, wow, this, this feels like I'm about to go on a journey. And it says, at this point, this history begins. And history is capitalized with an H. And I'm like, wow, that's a great like ending to a prologue setting you up like this is where this tale is beginning. And it just, I don't know, it just, it, it got me really excited, which I guess is the point of prologues is to get you excited for, for the tale to come. Right. And it's, and it's emblematic of how Tolkien like treats his, his story. He does treat it as history. He considers himself more of like a historian of this world than the actual author. And the way he talks about it, if you look into um, like reading his letters and things, it's always very much more of like a, he's more talking about it like from a perspective of someone that's learning about this place and this and the peoples and the language rather than being the creator of it, even though he is. And I think that probably just helps him in the writing of it as well. And he, at some point in the prologue too, it says, says something about, um, he's talking about Bilbo's adventure that we know happens in The Hobbit. And the way, but the way he describes it, he says, many copies contain the true account. And that, it, it, may, it really makes it feel like th- this is a real world and that there are these historical books that contain this story like it's a like it's a textbook that hobbits would read in their schools growing up or right. something you yeah. know yeah and the conceit is that that Bilbo and and Frodo have have narrated this story and that we're just sort of privy to that to get to read it and I love that about it my question for a experienced Lord of the Rings fan is, um, so does, I know that um, chronologically speaking, the Hobbit, ha- the events of the Hobbit happens before the events of the trilogy. Did the Hobbit come out after the trilogy? Is it like a Lord of the Rings, I mean, not a, a, a Star Wars situation? No, I think the the reason some might think that is just because of the popularity. The Lord of the Rings has become more popular over the years, but The Hobbit was published first. So The, the Hobbit was published in 1937, and Lord of the Rings wasn't published until 1954. So it was actually quite wow. a while after. The interesting thing is The Hobbit was, was very, very popular, and it still is. Um, it wasn't like it was forgotten because of the Lord of the Rings. Um, in fact, right after The Hobbit was published, the publishers were scrambling because people loved it so much and they wanted a sequel. Tolkien, he really wanted to honor that, but at the same time, he felt like he told so much about hobbits in The Hobbit that he didn't really know what to do. And he had like the overall history of Middle-earth in mind, but he didn't have a lot of the details down for Lord of the Rings. I think that's part of the reason why it took him so long to actually publish the Lord of the Rings. Um, you know, that's quite a gap from 1937 to, to 54. Um, but yeah, a lot of that was just down to his creative process, but, uh, but yeah, the Hobbit, the Hobbit did come first. So. Oh, okay, cool. That's yeah. I, I did not know that now, you said 1937. Yeah, mm-hmm. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, and, <laughs> <laughs> and I have more trivia. I don't want to like share too much of this if it's like not interesting, but like No, I love trivia <laughs> okay, like this. Okay. The cool thing about the Hobbit, so when he was getting that published, the publisher's son, Rainer Unwin, he read um like the manuscript of the Hobbit and the the publishers actually relied on this ten year old kid a lot for things especially the children's books. They're like, if he likes it, we'll we'll publish it and he loved the Hobbit. And Tolkien like came to rely on him for Lord of the Rings too. Like he sent him the first chapter that he was writing uh, for Fellowship, the one we're talking about today, just a couple of years later. So, so he 
the sun would have been probably 11 or 12 at that point. So even though it didn't get published till 1954, people were reading it, you know, in between that gap already. So I just love that, that the, the kid had such a major impact on, on not only The Hobbit, but The Lord of the Rings as well. That'll be what I tackle um, after the trilogy. Well, first, after I finish all the books or the trilogy, then I'll move on to The Hobbit and then I'll move on to everything else, I suppose. Because yeah. <laughs> it looks, there's a lot. There's yeah, a lot. Going, there's a ton. going yeah, going back to that first line of that Sparknote summary, dense with detail, right. I think is a great way to summarize basically all of this. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm not, an, like, I've tried to get through the Silmarillion and I'm still working on it. It's not one that's come easy to me. Uh, it's it's more biblical. And if, you know, that one's really hard to keep track of the names. Like, really? I have to, like, write them down and write who they are because there's just a lot. So, like, I've read some of the history, like, in summary, but the actual texts I, I haven't other than Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. I mean, even just, I mean, currently, I as we're recording this, I'm halfway through chapter two and I can mm-hmm. already tell the insane amount of detail and world building and everything that he's done that, I mean, you're, I you phrasing it as like he this is more like a history of this land and uh and details of of these people and everything as opposed to this fantasy quest adventure it makes complete sense and and it's probably like i'm really glad that you said that because it's gonna like reframe how i uh how i read this going forward and that makes sense that you know given that there was that what was it 20 year gap between Mm -hmm. the hobbit and the rest of the books um, is makes a lot of sense when you look at all of the detail and history and everything that he put into this. Right. So. Yeah, exactly. All right. Cool. So moving on to chapter one, a long expected party. Did I even get the name of the chapter right? <laughs> yes, you did. I did. <laughs> did I read the right chapter? Crap. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like when you show up to class and you've done the wrong reading. Right. I have dreams about that. Nightmares yeah. all the time. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's the worst feeling in the world. Because <laughs> you're like, no, I, I I, did work. I did the homework. Right. I just didn't do the right homework. <laughs> I learned something. It just wasn't what you wanted me to learn. <laughs> exactly. Um, so starting off, once again, kind of how I, I talked about how the last line of the prologue just sets up for something feeling epic. Similarly, I got a similar feeling from just the first line of this first chapter. When Mr. Bilbo Baggins of Bag End announced that he would shortly be celebrating his 111st birthday with a party of special magnificence, there was much talk and excitement in Hobbiton. And that just feels, I mean, coming from a background of I'm a huge Harry Potter fan, that feels very similar to Mr. and Mrs. Dursley of Privet Drive, because it's this very, sounds like a very normal sentence, but it sets up just enough curiosity that you're like, 111st? (laughs) He's having a 111st birthday party. That sounds intriguing. Tell me more. Right. There's there's a lot of whimsy to the to that opening that I love. Yeah. Yeah. Whimsy is another great word to describe all this. Because I I I really truly going into this did not know at all what to expect reading this. And I thought I think for some reason I thought it was gonna be very like not archaic language, mm-hmm. but I mean, you know, you said it was uh, written in, you know, between 19, he was, let's say he was working on it for, you know, 1940 to 19, when 1954, 19- yeah, 54. Yeah, like he was working on it, you know, 
80 some years ago, 60 some years ago. And we talk very differently and we write very differently, you know, today. So I was not expecting to have this level of intrigue and curiosity and and whimsy right off the bat in the first chapter. I thought I was going to have to like power through just to, you know, get into the meat of it to get invested. But immediately I was like, this is a very cute little town of of people that he's built and that he's describing. Well, and I love uh, that. Well, like, even if you just have like a cursory knowledge of like the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, like, you know, that Lord of the Rings is probably going to be a little bit darker. Um, So I think you don't expect that sense of like, there's, there's really a sense of humor, especially in this chapter. Um, It's not like necessarily laugh out loud, but like, it's, it's chuckle worthy. Like there's funny stuff in this chapter, especially. Um, And I always forget that even though I've read it before, I go into it thinking, oh, this is going to be a dark story because I know what, what comes, but um, I'm just always struck by Tolkien. He does have a sense of humor and I love that. Yeah. It's funny that you said it wasn't laugh out loud because there were certain parts where I was laughing out loud (laughs) or or at least giving a good chuckle. Like he is, sorry, he is, yeah, he's very funny and he has yeah. a great sense of humor. And I think I think Tolkien and I would get along great in this day right. and age because <laughs> it seems like he has a very dry, sarcastic, mm-hmm. um, underrated sense of humor that kind of flies over the heads of, of a lot of people. Right. And I'm wondering if maybe he inserted this humor for... So thinking back to when these books were published and they were at the, you know, I mean, they're still popular, you know, it's still a popular series now, but when it was at at its peak of popularity, Mm -hmm. when probably parents were reading it with their kids or something, um, it seems like that, you know, how like Pixar or something will put in jokes for the adults and it's, it's the stuff that parents will be able to appreciate or older audiences will be able to appreciate um, so that it keeps them interested as well as the kids. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And I actually, I think it's within the first, the first like couple of pages or so, I I was laughing because even in, uh, how, how do you say, is it Hobbit, Hobbiton? Yeah, Hobbiton, yeah, Hobbiton, yep. Hobbiton, okay, mm-hmm. cool. I'm so excited for the amount of mispronunciation I'm gonna make <laughs> throughout this podcast. It's totally, <laughs> totally cool. <laughs> you gotta start somewhere, right? <laughs> like I can completely, I, I, so I started reading the Harry Potter books after the movies came out, so I was mm. like, yeah, of course it's Hermione. Right. So when I heard that people thought it was like Hermione, I was like, well, how did you get there? But looking yeah. at, you know, these words now, considering I haven't, you know, had the movies to go off over anything, I can completely understand how people pronounce things as they read them right, in their head. Yeah. But um, <laughs> anyway, this little, so in Hobbiton, they, it seems very, like we were saying, whimsical. It seems very, mm-hmm. like it's a different, I mean, it is a different world, but it seems like it's in this safe little bubble. But then even within it, there's this like little gossip circle right? that's yeah. like gathering and they're like talking smack about Bilbo <laughs> and they're talking about also provide, you know, providing a little bit of like, in case you didn't read The Hobbit, right, here's yeah. all the drama that went down. And I love that the um, Saxville Bagginses are really salty about the fact that Bilbo basically cheated them out of having one of them be the heir to Bag End, and he gave it all to... He made Frodo his heir. Right. And they're really peeved about that. <laughs> 
to say the least. They keep popping up in various ways trying to get back in, it seems like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I love that, like, even in this far-off fantasy world, there's still these, like, small moments of, like, everyday, like, family drama or politics or something. Right, there's still people sitting around gossiping. That's uh, yes. a universal universal scene <laughs> exactly that's why i love it oh my gosh it was so great um yeah i i just wrote in my notes all caps drama <laughs> <laughs> anyway so they're everyone in hobbiton is gearing up for this big party and it's super exciting and you know if you've if you've ever been a little kid and you know that your friend is having a birthday party soon and you have like the invitation on your refrigerator you can remember that excitement but i'm just imagining it's like tenfold because everyone's like right. this is gonna be a banger yeah <laughs> it's gonna like just imagining the like biggest rave that's ever come to hobbiton right. um and i i love we'll we'll get there more once we get to that this part of the chapter but i love that it's all a big setup for um bilbo's exit right it's basically. all a joke <laughs> yeah i love that um Anyway, so Gandalf comes into town and is helping out. And then there's talk that he is going to be performing his own fireworks, mm-hmm. which I have to imagine are the Weasley fireworks on steroids. Right. Yeah. <laughs> They're clearly influenced by magic in some way. Like these aren't just regular fireworks. And I think, I mean, it even says that the hobbits know, know Gandalf for his, his fire and his smoke and lights. And they don't even realize that he is more than that. Like to them, he's just... He's just a fireworks guy that might be magic. <laughs> yeah, I love. I, yeah, I love that. Um, I love that <laughs> Gandalf is this amazing wizard, and then all the hobbits are like, "Yeah, but um, his fireworks are pretty great." And so. he just comes and disturbs the peace. Like, <laughs> yeah, I love Gandalf. <laughs> yeah, I do too. He's he's one of my favorites for sure. He's great. He's great. And I think that I think that's really fitting for me too, considering um, Dumbledore is also one of my favorite characters. Yeah. Yeah. So it's very fitting that these. These wise old wizards are some of my favorites. Right. Um, but yeah, I lo- yeah, I love that Gandalf is basically just this like pirate yeah. tech. <laughs> also, I mean, I'm sure I'm sure it'll get into this more into the series, but I wonder what other or well, first of all, is are there other wizards like Gandalf, or is he basically like the wizard? There are other wizards, yes. I won't say more because I don't want to Okay, cool. Well, I wonder, I have to wonder, though, what they all think of him, because they must think, like, he's an old kook going to, (laughs) like, hang out with the hobbits and put on fireworks shows for someone's birthday party. Yeah, I'll just say you're not wrong there, what what others feel about him. (laughs) Oh, man, I can't wait. I can't wait to get into all of that. So meanwhile, it's also Frodo's birthday, and he is, I love... I love this description because I feel like it describes me as in my current phase of life as a 24-year-old. So Frodo was still in his tweens, as the hobbits called the irresponsible 20s between childhood and coming of age at 33. I love that so much. It's so funny because hobbits don't live that much longer. Like they say the old Took, who's like a famous old hobbit, just lived 130. So like their lifespan isn't that much more than humans, and yet they come of age at 33. Like... I'm 31. I'd I'd still be a child to a hobbit. That's pretty sweet. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love. It's just so funny that they have this like defined age of like, okay, now you're an adult, right? <laughs> <laughs> and it seems like the way you would have thought of that when you were like when I was like when I was little, I thought being an adult was like 
graduating college and right and i i just i graduated college two years ago and lord i feel do, do not feel like an adult at all <laughs> then when you become adult you realize being an adult is just filling out forms and waiting in lines and it's not quite the same <laughs> yeah i'm currently fi- uh trying to find furniture for my apartment mm. where that i move in three weeks and i'm like mattresses are so expensive <laughs> right i just need somewhere to sleep <laughs> I'm the good news is that I have a I have a bed frame, no mattress, and my mom made a joke that uh I do have a uh queen size blow up mattress. Uh-huh. So <laughs> worst comes to worst, I could sleep on that Use for that. a couple of days. <laughs> Maybe a couple of weeks, but Right. Long term yeah. might not be good for your back there. <laughs> yeah, oh my gosh. And the the other part of it is that it's that my apartment is on the third floor and there's no elevator in the building. So I'm like, how am I going to get all this stuff up the stairs? And everyone's like, hire movers. I'm like, do you think I can afford movers? Do you think I'm at a phase of my life where I can afford movers? (laughs) So that's like, that's like my frame of reference right now for where I am is what an adult is of what (laughs) is like someone who has a mattress (laughs) and can hire movers. Yes. So once I get there. Then you're an adult. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the the other thing is, so at age 33, are they like, I don't know, I'm just imagining that like, as soon as he like blows out the candles, he's 33. It's like, okay, now it's time to settle down and, and have kids. Right. I'm assuming the ho- I'm assuming the hobbits like get married and have families, right? Yeah, they're monogamous. It's it, they're supposed to just be kind of like, middle class English, like, is really how they're supposed to feel and yeah they they yeah they settle down and it's interesting the coming of age thing because it's not like after that they go and get a job because you know they have like apprenticeships like sam is um his dad's the gardener and sam's sort of an apprentice gardener and so and he's not of age yet either i don't think i don't think he's i think he's similar in age to frodo but um yeah i never thought about them having um like job economy or something like i wonder what the employment rates are like in (laughs) hobbiton Mostly Especially, farmers, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's funny that we're talking about that now because my next note is they they make a note that for the party, they're having all of these local, they're having locals provide resources and services yeah. for the party. And it it felt like support local businesses. Right. <laughs> like, so, <laughs> is there a small business Saturday in the Shire? Because <laughs> right. that's what I'm imagining. It's probably every day. yeah true yeah which is funny like is there what like would there have been a way for them to like import stuff from other lands because it seems like and correct me if i'm wrong which i probably am i'm so excited to be wrong about everything (laughs) (laughs) um but it seems like the hobbits live in hobbiton and they stay there and they're happy to be there and it seems like they don't want part of the rest of the world that they they live in this protective bubble and anything that infiltrates it kind of could rock the boat or something yeah you're, you're spot on it's they're they're very distrusting of anything outside of of the shire and and you see a lot of that in the hobbit as well but uh but yeah they're they don't they don't want to go outside their bubble much they don't the reason that they gossip so much about bilbo is because he went on an adventure and that was enough you know that was against the grain enough for hobbits to to cause a big stir in the community and and you'll see it like a little bit here too cuz he's he brings some dwarves with him 
some dwarves are at his house and yeah that's not normal either like to have outsiders hanging out um it's it's a little more normal for bilbo but uh as you see they they think bilbo's a little bit strange and so much about the hobbit way of life is like keeping up that appearance of, of propriety and and just staying comfortable in their own comfortable space and then Going back to the the sense of humor uh, again is my very next note is hobbits are funny. Yeah. <laughs> um, so specifically, so the party begins and specifically part the part that I wrote down as being funny is there are hobbits who they come in and everyone receives a gift. And then there were some hobbits that went out the back entrance and yeah. then came back again to get another right. gift. <laughs> I love the gift giving, uh, yeah, the gift giving tradition of hobbits that they give gifts to other people on their birthday. But like in theory, I love that. But I'm thinking about myself. Like I get really anxious about giving presents to people and getting the right things. I'm realizing oh, that like same. in in Hobbiton, like my birthday would be the most panic inducing day of the year. Like, <laughs> I would exactly. Not like that <laughs> yeah. So yeah. What are like? What are all of these presents that he's giving out? Because in my in my mind, I'm imagining it's just like little like tinker toys. Like okay, you get a yo yo. You get I don't know. Um, yeah, and they're all paddle ball. <laughs> right. It mentions they're all like, or at least most of them are dwarven made. So that's why the dwarves come with a cart full of packages. Is the things he's giving away at his party. And I think a lot of that just has to do with his relationship with the dwarves from the hobbit book um and and probably some of it might be some of the treasure i guess i don't know if he'd give away his treasure but um yeah i'm not sure exactly they don't give a lot of uh specifics for what those those packages are and then sorry that just reminded me there was in the in the prologue they mentioned backtracking all Mm -hmm. the way where is it? There's some. It's a. It's a word for for things that they. Oh, a, a mathem, a mathem. Mm, yeah, like a uh, an object that they keep just because they don't really want to give it away, but it has no practical use. It's almost yeah. like a we'd call like a, a trinket or like a. I don't know what other words we have for it, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I I just love that he gave this word for it because it's such a. It's very relatable that they're everyone has these things that has no use there's no purpose in it there's no reason to keep it but you still keep it and so and then i love that they have if i remember correctly that there's like this one isn't there this one place where they keep all of the the what are they mathems is that Mm. how you say oh like in their own house or whatever yeah oh maybe i maybe they might mention that in the prologue i don't remember for sure let me see Oh, it says the Matham House. Oh, yeah. So I love that they've collected. Yeah, it says the Matham House. It was called for anything that hobbits had no immediate use for, but were unwilling to throw away. They called a Matham. Their dwellings were apt to become rather crowded with Mathams, and many of the presents that passed from hand to hand were of that sort. Yeah. So I, uh, I'm imagining that for all of these presents and everything, that people just go into the Matham House, grab something, and then wrap it up and then give it away. Again. <laughs> right. It's like <laughs> perpetual regifting in the Yeah. <laughs> and then I have to think that like at some point the hobbits there's gotta be like a hoarders buried alive right. somewhere in, in Hobbiton. <laughs> That's someone's job is to help the people that have too many mathems. Oh my god, do you think there's a, a Marie Kondo of yes. the Hobbits? <laughs> Absolutely. One hundred percent there is a Marie Kondo. Oh my gosh. This does not bring me joy. Throws right. it out. <laughs> 
I'd love to see that Netflix special. Oh my goodness. Um, I that, really that sounds I really amazing. Want, yeah, I really want like someone to do a parody of this where it's it's Marie Kondo and she comes into Hobbiton to help them help with the madams. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that would be so great. Anyway, so back to the party. We yeah, can't so come back all, from that. I, I, yeah, I'm so I just, I'm just imagining that it's just like pure, not chaos, but like just the entire t- the entire town is there. There's this huge tent. Everyone's invited, and it sounds like there were some people from outside Hobbiton that somehow snuck in because it mentioned something about and some who were not invited as well or something like that um yeah so you have the you have the shire and the shire is like a big um i don't know like area wide area wise how big it is but it's you know you can think of it as like the whole countryside and within the shire is hobbiton which is like the town with it which is the town so not all the hobbit not all the hobbits are in hobbiton there's hobbits um in other farthings they call them you know all around the area so some of them are traveling from quite far to get to hobbiton um but then i guess some weren't invited but everyone Everyone felt like they were invited, so they just came. But uh, but yeah, there there are a lot of hobbits outside of Hobbiton as well, and then out, and then outside oh. of the Shire is where we get into like dwarves and elves and men. Okay, yeah, I had no, I wasn't even thinking about um, the difference between Hobbiton and the Shire, yeah. but that make that makes complete sense then. Okay, cool. I also love how he names everything, like Hobbiton is. Hobbit yeah. town. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's all it's all very uh, simplistic and uh, so. For example, the Proudfoots are named for their for being proud of their feet. Right, <laughs> he's got big feet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It brings back that what we were talking about. How it's 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 funny and it's it's whimsical, but it's also something that um, kids can enjoy. Where it sounds like a very it sounds like a very normal, you know, uh, on one hand, you might think, oh, wow, what a fun, uh, uh, fantastical, fantasy sounding name. And then once you break it down, you're like, oh, no, it's just like Proudfoot or yeah. Hobbit Town. <laughs> right, exactly. When, yeah, and Tolkien was a master of languages. He taught languages at, at university. And so really that's where all this started is from a place of language. So every name, every name of, of a person or a place is is very um like specific like it's very thought out um there's nothing that's just sort of thrown out there um everything has a purpose yeah everything's a play on words so the party's going on everyone's having a great time there are fireworks and then gandalf's fireworks go on for the the grand finale and yeah. i'm imagining it as like there's some of the older hobbits who are like Oh, I would never because it seems like some of them are like, that's too much. Yeah. Calm down. And then it seems like uh, maybe a lesser population are really enjoying it because you you find out later um, that the hobbits start, I think, getting annoyed with Gandalf and he doesn't have quite a great reputation there anymore, especially after his uh, involvement with Bilbo at his party. Yeah, for sure. And I always got the feeling that most hobbits that are adults, even like the idea of fireworks is is way too too much for them. Oh, only, that's true. Only the kids probably really enjoy it and uh I I just yeah, I think the idea of fireworks would be a bit a bit too Yeah, it's my, like it's sure. like too much outside of their comfort their comfort it's zone. It's too adventurous. Like it's, it's, it's not normal. It's not natural. Yes. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, that's a yeah, that's a great way to think of it. I just love the language and and Tolkien 
is very much a poet and there's like that passage of all talking about the fireworks was just fantastic like there's a part that just says there were fountains of butterflies that flew glittering into the trees there were pillars of colored fires that rose and turned into eagles or sailing ships or a phalanx of flying swans there was a red thunderstorm and a shower of yellow rain there was a forest of silver spears that sprang suddenly into the air with a yell like an embattled army and came down again into the water with a hiss like a hundred hot snakes. I just, I just uh-huh. love that. Like, it's so, it's so good. I mean, it's, it's so descriptive and it's, it's so, yeah. again, with that detail, it really paints, it paints a picture. Yeah, I love it. And it, it, you don't get language like that in most modern books now. I think, you know, adjectives are frowned on in that, in that sort of way. But uh, so it might be a little bit flowery for some people, but I just, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> To- totally agree. It's it it really is a, a a different kind of writing because it's very it's you know the content itself is very magical, but the writing feels magical. The words yeah. feel magical. It feels very poetic, and it's very um, like imagery just like shoved everywhere you can. Right. <laughs> yeah, like there's another part. Um, jumping ahead a little bit, but where Bilbo's talking to Gandalf, and he says he feels like. Um, butter that's been scraped over too much bread that's always been uh, a, like an image that is like always just indelibly stuck in my head like i that's n- not a, an image that will ever leave just it's just it's simple but it's just perfect man i just constantly wonder how authors are able to like think of these it, it, it's just crazy how there are all of these words that we all know in this world and they're able to pick out the right ones and construct them in a way that make it such a fascinating thing to read and be excited about. Yeah, so the the fireworks section was amazing. Oh, and so then the fireworks ends with that's the signal for supper, said Bilbo. Yeah. <laughs> I love that it, I love that it was all leading up to food basically. I think everything relates to food with the hobbits cuz yeah. even even later when they are shocked by his joke, they feel like they need um, something to cure them of the shock. And it's like talking about how, well, I guess we better eat and drink because that's the only, you know, we deserve it after having gone through that that uh, joke of Bilbo's. Talking again about how much I do and don't know about this series. That is one thing I do know is that they're, the hobbits have like breakfast and second breakfast mm-hmm. and, and all the, they have several meals throughout the day. And they have, uh, I don't think it's gotten to the point in the book yet where they explicitly, explicitly, you know, say what their meal schedule is. But mm-hmm. even now you can tell that a lot of their culture and celebration and everything is based around food. Yeah, for sure. Which <laughs> is great. And I relate to. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my, my children ask for second breakfast every day. Like it's a thing in my house. One day we had, had like said, um, I think we just called a snack a second breakfast and they just like latched onto that. And now every day they just ask, is it time for second breakfast? Like that's every amazing. Day. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. I've, um, I babysit a lot of different families in my neighborhood pretty frequently and they're all around under five and I'm amazed mm. at how much kids eat. No, they don't stop. It's, yeah. it's never ending. Like growing up before I was a parent, the stereotype was always that like teenagers eat a lot, you know, and then the biggest shock of parenthood is realizing that it's not teenagers. It's just children eat yeah. a lot. <laughs> they're always hungry. That is talking about second breakfast for your kids. Like I can totally see how I want. Um, 
I was about to say, did Tolkien ha- did Tolkien have kids? But yes, we know that he has kids. So I mm-hmm. I wonder if he took that from you know and added that into the books of of seeing his kids and how much they eat and seeing this childlike nature and adding it into the Hobbits. I I wouldn't be surprised at all. I mean, the, the Hobbit started as a a story he was just telling to his kids, and that's uh. where it all started from. And even in this book uh, later, you'll meet a character named Tom Bombadil, who is a character that he had just created at story time with his kids. So it's it's definitely a huge part of of all of Middle Earth, really. Oh, I love that. <laughs> That's so sweet. I love I, I love hearing stories like that how um, I do too. Like I think what like Winnie the Pooh started off mm-hmm. like that too where it was just an like he was just telling stories to his kid yeah. to his kid and then wanted more people to hear about it. That's awesome. So kind of on a similar note, who did, what was the audience in mind that Tolkien wrote these books for? Because so nowadays we have all of these big descriptors for books, like it's YA, it's middle grade, it's, you know, adult fiction, it's science fiction or something, you know, and I know back, you know, back then they, Tolkien never would have imagined what YA would mean. I don't yeah. think, but in my mind, these seem like very adult books, not in the content, but in just in the fact that, I mean, they're not exactly, you know, they're not short books. They're not super long, but they're not short books. Right. It's not from the perspective of a child. It's not very childlike language. But at the same time, we're, you know, we're talking about it and this is all very childlike, whimsical characters and behavior and land. So who who do you think Tolkien had in mind when he was writing well, when, these When books? he wrote The Hobbit, it was definitely a children's book. It was, you know, it was marketed. I don't know how much marketing there was, but it was aimed at at children for sure. And and children loved it and, and wanted more. Like I said, um, the problem was. Tolkien had so many ideas, but so many of his ideas were from a darker place or um, it just had a grander scale that that wasn't necessarily for children. And so he, I think he felt a little bit stuck for a bit because he, he, know, he knew that people wanted a sequel to The Hobbit, but everything he was coming up with story-wise wasn't really sequel. And he doesn't call Lord of the Rings a sequel just because um, he doesn't consider it a children's book. So I think it does go from a children's story in The Hobbit to um, something aimed more for adults in, in The Lord of the Rings. And I think that this first chapter is a good example of that because it really is a bridge. Like um, It's almost like an epilogue to The Hobbit or even a prologue to The Lord of the Rings because it's sort of passing the torch from Bilbo, the main character of The Hobbit, to Frodo, who's going to be the major character of, of this story. Um, and, and, and this chapter just in terms of tone as well is is very much um like the hobbit and so i think it really is that bridge between the children's story into the the grander scale the bigger darker world of lord of the rings so it's sounding like i mean given i i know nothing so it it sounds like lord of the rings gets really dark as it goes on yeah and maybe not dark like in the sense of how we think of darkness now um just because this was the 50s you know yeah um but just in terms of of tone and just the themes that it's working with are much more adult and and Tolkien did that because he felt it gave it more of a sense of of realism that you couldn't just have the whimsy and the humor it didn't feel real it didn't have the stakes to it well i'm excited i'm excited for when i eventually read the hobbit because yeah. it'll feel like i mean obviously it will be going backwards because it's going backwards in time and it's going backwards right. in you know content and everything 
So the fireworks ends, the feast begins, and after the feast comes the big speech where the birthday boy, Bilbo, gives a, a big toast. And I, I love that he they make a note to say that this is the least, fi- this is everyone's least favorite part of the party because it means <laughs> that like, they're not partying anymore. They're not eating. Right. They just have to sit there and listen to someone talk. It's a hobbit nightmare. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which like, I can relate. Right. <laughs> At my, uh, my sister's wedding was, let's see, like a month and a half ago. And I was in the bridal party party and we were all standing around and everyone's giving oh so my sister and her husband did their first dance and then my father and my sister and then the groom and his mother and then someone and then my uncle came and gave a prayer and it was just this long period of just standing around (laughs) and I'm like can I get a drink please it's 90 degrees can i please go get like a, a ham biscuit thing and and a drink in the other hand and that's it and i'll be good so this is relatable yeah yeah uh, again I, I i love that the hobbits are so food driven yeah. they're food they're food driven people yeah. and i love the part more of the humor when they're all shouting here 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 and they kept on repeating it in chorus it says seeming reluctant to follow their own advice <laughs> just little lines like that it's like just, um it's brilliant it's like in um like elementary school when your teacher would be like everyone shut up and then right. people are still whispering and then there's always that one kid that's like shh guys seriously stop talking and then it's like well you're talking now chad and it just goes on stop yelling like, yeah. like, you're yelling now so this is where begins when I I think I officially started really feeling like Bilbo is amazing. So he yeah. goes into he begins his speech. He welcomes everyone, of course. I like how he outlines his his speech and he says like there are three things that have brought us all together. Talks about all of it and then the last one says, "I don't know half of you half as well as I should like, and I like less than half of you half as well as you deserve." <laughs> That's like literally my favorite line in all of literature. I love that line so much. The thing that made me <laughs> laugh more was what follows immediately after it says this was unexpected and rather difficult there was some scattered clapping but most of them were trying to work it out and see if it came to a compliment you do have to like break it apart it's a a tricky sentence there yeah and that's what so that's the thing is as i was reading through that what he says the first time it didn't really i it went over my head And it wasn't until it said that they were trying to work it out and see if it came to a compliment that I was like, wait, is that an insult? And I had to go back and read it a couple more times to be like, oh, that's savage. (laughs) It's kind of like both. Like, it's almost like partly a compliment, partly not. Like that first line, he says, I don't know half of you half as well as I should like. So it's like, yeah, there's some of you here that I don't know as well as I should. And I'd like to. And then the second part is like, there's a small part of you. I don't like very much, but you probably deserve a little bit better than that. <laughs> so it's like, it's not quite an insult, but it's sort of, yeah, is, it's like it's a kind of a compliment. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's like a backhanded compliment. Yeah. <laughs> when you see someone wear, I don't know, wearing a, a bathing suit and you're like, oh, wow, I, w- I wish I was that brave to wear a bathing suit like that. Right. And you're like, thank you. <laughs> and you're like, I didn't know I was brave Brave. but okay (laughs) i'm just swimming but okay yeah (laughs) so he's going through this uh speech gets gets to the end and says thirdly and finally i wish to make an announcement 
I regret to announce that though, as I said, 11-1 years is far too short a time to spend among you, this is the end. I am going. I am leaving. Now, goodbye. <laughs> and then he pieces out. Literally disappears. Yeah. And so I love that there is, he, there's this huge setup of this whole party, this speech and everything. And it all culminates in him doing the most dramatic exit of all time. And what I, what I also like is in my version of the book, announcement is capitalized, end is capitalized, and now and goodbye are capitalized. Yeah, I think mine are the same. And I love that because it, it really, for me, as I was reading it, I was like, he sounds dramatic af (laughs) (laughs) he's almost a little bit into the hobbit like he he didn't really want to go on an adventure and at this point he's gone on an adventure everyone seems to give him a hard time for it he's almost like becoming that person that everyone is gossiping about you know even if he wasn't that person to begin with yeah i wrote down um i wrote down that bilbo is iconic (laughs) because i wish i had the gall to leave like that and I, i also like that he put up this front of being such a friendly and welcoming and happy person to be like yeah i love everyone here this is great i'm so glad everyone is here while sliding in some like some backhanded insults along the way (laughs) and then it's just all this huge ruse then it says he stepped down and vanished there was a blinding flash of light and the guests all blinked when they opened their eyes bilbo was nowhere to be seen 144 flabbergasted hobbits sat back speechless. It was generally agreed that the joke was in very bad taste and that more food and drink were needed to cure the guests of shock and annoyance. (laughs) So much like a hobbit. Such a hobbit thing to do. (laughs) Oh, gosh. That's great. Everyone's confused. You find out later that people think Gandalf had some play in this, which, sorry, I, uh, I think in my, I think in my head, I was imagining that he vanishes in this like burst mm. of smoke, but really, it's just that he, he, you find out later that he put the ring on and vanished and just kind of like walked away. Which and I love. Gandalf <laughs> added the smoke and light and yeah, yeah. Like Gandalf's like adding the the magical touches like. <laughs> Yeah. I just love that. But I like this I, this like visual of like or this idea that Bilbo puts the ring on. Everyone's like, ah, he's gone. And then meanwhile, he's still just walking around the party. <laughs> <laughs> like if I did that, I would totally use, I would totally go like eavesdrop on everyone's conversations. Right. And... You could do anything. You could attend your own funeral. Oh you my could... gosh. <laughs> that would be, I don't want to go down that path. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah. He's basically just, I mean, like just keeping in the, ba- in the back of your mind that while all of this is happening after he vanished. Vanishes. He's actually like sitting there listening to everyone shirt talk him. <laughs> yeah. So Bilbo leaves with like the biggest few of all time, and Frodo is left basically to pick up the pieces. And like poor Frodo, because everyone rushes to him basically and keeps annoying him and asking him what's going on. And he's like, I don't know any more than you do. Let's see. People call him a uh, silly old fool, and Frodo is just like, um. I'm going to go. Y'all have fun. Yeah. I, I do feel like Frodo gets a bit of the short end of the stick here. <laughs> yeah. Because the other thing is that it is also it's, his It's his birthday. birthday. <laughs> Bilbo kind of made it about himself. And uh, there, there's a bit of a selfish streak in Bilbo as much as you have to love him. Oh, but, 100%. Uh, someone who threw, you know, this party that's basically the pinnacle of pettiness. <laughs> right. Yeah. I was just going to say that also like Frodo has received Bilbo's inheritance. And I think that it, part of that inheritance is just having to deal with the Sackville Bagginses as well. <laughs> 
He's like, Bilbo's been dealing with it for years. It's Frodo's turn. Yeah, so. yeah. So the party continues, and we cut to Bilbo. He has gone back to his house, and he's getting ready to pack up and leave. And Gandalf joins him and starts talking, and you find out that basically they had both been planning this for a while, and that Bilbo had been planning this grand exit and always planned on leaving in a very dramatic fashion, rather. So they start talking, and Gandalf asks him, so you're leaving Frodo everything? And Bilbo's like, yeah, sure, everything. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. I guess. <laughs> like meanwhile, meanwhile, he's like looking at the. I think he at this point he'd placed the ring into an envelope mm. of some ki- some kind, and he's like, on second thought, maybe not everything. <laughs> I kind of like this one thing. I might take it with me. <laughs> and Gandalf, in this point, at this point, makes uh, he makes a good dad joke. So Bilbo asks um, him to keep an eye on Frodo, and Gandalf goes. I will. Two eyes if I can. (laughs) Good going, Gandalf. (laughs) Good going, Gandalf. (laughs) Then uh, they start getting more intense. This conversation gets more and more intense as they're talking about the ring. And uh, Bilbo does not want to leave the ring behind. And he feels drawn to it. And he he talks about how he feels panicked sometimes because he he'll wonder if he's lost it or he'll wonder um where it's gone and and he feels like he has to have it with him at all times because of that and Gandalf is like then just leave it behind and you kind of see the power that the ring has over Bilbo in these in this short passage and it talks about how Bilbo gets he grows a little bit darker and i'm just imagining like his face like transforming into he's almost getting evil just by talking about the mere idea of leaving the ring and not having it with him anymore yeah this is really the first time we really get to see any sense of power that gandalf has i mean he's been called a wizard and we've seen his fireworks display but uh, uh we we it's implied or even stated explicitly that he has power beyond that and yeah we could definitely get a sense of it here with that sort of display of shadowy darkness yes so uh, at this point i was i kind of alternated between listening to the audiobook and um mm-hmm. and reading it and at this point i was listening to the audiobook and um I, I don't remember i don't remember what i was doing but it made me whatever it made me stop and and kind of like stare with my eyes wide open into nothing because all of a sudden yeah. Gandalf got real intense in the audiobook. He yeah. was furious and there was this huge like dramatic swell to his voice and it got like you really felt the like you said the power that he holds and it seems like he, you know, he doesn't want to be this mean, menacing, powerful wizard because he, you know, wants to be friendly with the hobbits and he does fireworks and all this stuff. But when he has to, um, when he has to, he can be terrifying and he is capable of these intense but powerful, great, sometimes terrible things. And I'm I'm excited to see what all happens because that's just like a, you know, if I, if I like felt all that and thought all of that just from this like tiny passage where he doesn't even, he doesn't even like do any magic. He just talks right. to Bilbo at this point and it's just being intimidating basically. And I, I was going to say part of the key to that description, I think as well is like the aftermath of it sort of lends itself to um, recognizing how powerful it is because not only how Bilbo reacts, but the way it describes him as afterward just sort of returning to a a grizzled old man i think that's gives a clue to 
sort of the power he had displayed right before that. Yeah. So Gandalf, after he sh- does this, pow- you know, the show of, of power and anger, basically, towards Bilbo, Bilbo agree- uh, agrees to leave the ring. And he is off on his journey to who knows where. They don't really specify. Do we find out? I, I don't even know if I want to ask that question if we find out where he is later. I'll, I'll let it uh, be unspoken. Okay, great. <laughs> Bilbo is gone. He pieces out. Um, and then shortly after, Frodo comes back and Gandalf is still there. And Frodo kind of has this moment where he's like, I knew he was leaving, but... Now that he's actually left, I'm a little sad about it. Yeah. Kind of, I kind of feel sad for Frodo because he's been... He, he wasn't dealt a great hand of whatever Hobbit cards they have. And right. <laughs> um, his... Because it talks about... They talk about how um, the first part of the chapter, they talk about how his parents died when he was young. And that's the whole reason basically Bilbo took him in and made him his heirs yeah. because he had no family and was orphaned at a young age. And then now, you know, the only semblance of a, of a father figure he probably had is gone. And then now he's left to live in this house alone by himself with, you know, in a town full of people who are, you know, not very fond of Bilbo. And so they yeah. probably, um, and we find out later that they come and pester Frodo about it. And Frodo even says, he's like, I told give up my inheritance if i could just you know go on this journey with bilbo which is very sad yeah yeah which i guess we should feel better knowing i mean knowing what we know the rest of the book is about is that now now it is time for frodo's adventure and that he if he had gone with bilbo he wouldn't be able to do what happens throughout the rest of the book in the series yeah exactly so gandalf leaves and then comes one of my favorite parts of this, I think my favorite part of the chapter, which is when they're dividing up for uh, Bilbo's will and what he left behind to all of his family members. And <laughs> it's the most passive aggressive way <laughs> get to humor, deal yeah. <laughs> with um, annoying family members. And I am Give here for backhanded it. gifts. <laughs> yes, I love it. So I won't read off all of them, but um, just a few of them. For Milo Burroughs, hoping it will be useful, from BB, on a gold pen and ink bottle. Milo never answered letters. For the collection of Hugo Bracegirdle, from a contributor on an empty bookcase. Hugo was a great borrower of books and worse than usual at returning them. For Lobelia Saxville Baggins, as a present, on a case of silver spoons. Bilbo believed she had acquired a good many of his spoons while he was away on his former journey. Lobelia knew that quite well. When she arrived later in the day, she took the point at once, but she also took the spoons. So oh, good. It's so, so great. Good. <laughs> um, which uh, reminds reminds me. Sorry, going going back to how we were talking about the the gossip circle at the beginning. One of the things they were talking about about why the Saxville Bagginsons were so upset with Bilbo is that they thought he was gonna die and that he wasn't gonna come yeah. back and they were gonna get Baggins. They they thought it was theirs when he left. So his mere existence is an annoyance to them. Well, they don't. They didn't only just think that he was dead. Like they took certain actions uh, upon his death, and I won't give that away. But uh, yeah, they they definitely thought he was he was dead, and 
and went forward. Oh my gosh, that's I can't wait. I can't wait to read that. Um, yeah, I really I just given just the short introduction and description of the Saxville Bagginsons and the rest of his family. I can't wait to to learn more about them and read more about them. Um, but I love I love that specifically though. Belia or Lobelia. I love that she totally meant, she totally understood that Bilbo was giving her this backhanded insult, um, but she she took him him anyway. anyway. (laughs) (laughs) I I just love that she took, uh, she took the point at once, but she also took the spoons. (laughs) She's like, she's like, I'm upset, but I also really did want those, so I'm just going to take them. Uh, Frodo's kind of annoyed with the rest of um, everyone. Everyone is coming to bother him, basically. And I, I can see how, given from the extravagance of the party, how it seems like everyone would assume that they are also getting something. And also given that we know that Bilbo has this huge treasure and all of this stuff that he got from The Hobbit... Um, or the events in The Hobbit, you could assume that it would all be given away. And Frodo's like, what? Sorry, I'm not here. And closes the door, basically. Yeah. (laughs) No one's home. After all of this hoopla, Gandalf once again shows up and is like, hey, I'm going to leave now. By the way, Frodo, what do you know about this ring? (laughs) And Frodo's like, oh, not much. Not more than Bilbo mentioned. And Gandalf is like, great. Bye. And then it just says that Frodo did not see him again for a long time. I love that Gandalf seems to realize that there's some danger to this ring, but he still remains very calm about it. And, and maybe you have some insight here. I'm, I've always wondered why, because Bilbo sets the the envelope on the mantelpiece and says it's for Frodo. And Frodo comes later and Gandalf tells him it's on the mantelpiece, but like, I could almost see Gandalf taking it and, yeah. and not using it, but just to keep it safe from Frodo because it's dangerous. But he doesn't. He like honors. He honors yeah, it, which that's is very interesting. What, to me. Well, that's what I was wondering, and that's what um, I'll talk about more once I get more into the book, and specifically in the next chapter, since I'm about halfway yeah. through that now. Is that I know that mm-hmm. this ring is very dangerous, and basically they need to destroy it. So I'm wondering why if if Gandalf knew this great power that it had and if um, he knew what it had done to Bilbo, why did he, why did no one tell Frodo about this and why did no one warn Frodo about it um, until it, it feels like they only told him about it until the plot, until it was convenient for the plot. (laughs) Right. Well, I think part of it is Gandalf, he doesn't know how dangerous it is. He doesn't know the history of it yet. He sort of has um, an inkling that it could be dangerous. But even with that little inkling and how much Gandalf knows, because he's very wise, it does still, still seem kind of strange that he doesn't protect Frodo a little bit more than just saying, yeah, don't put it on like <laughs> yes yeah, so Gandalf says let it be a warning to you to be very careful with it it may have other powers than just making you vanish when you wish to I don't understand said Frodo neither do I answered the wizard I have merely begun to wonder about the ring especially since last night no need to worry but if you take my advice you will use it very seldom or not at all at least I beg you not to use it in any way that will cause talk or rouse suspicion I say again keep it safe and keep it secret You are very mysterious. What are you afraid of? I am not certain, so I will say no more. It just just seems very peculiar to me that he's 
he's afraid he seems afraid of the ring and very worried about the ring and makes a point to bring it up bring his worries and fears up to Frodo about the ring but then doesn't do anything about it right and when and going back to you know you mentioned Gandalf and his um connection to like Dumbledore it is very much a Dumbledore and Harry thing for um yeah you know, Dumbledore to keep so much information from Harry and only told him tell him so much it I mean you can tell that and and you'll see it throughout. There's there are oh, a lot yeah. of similarities between the two. Um, that was I'm sure that was intentional. And you definitely get that here with with Gandalf seeming to, you know, tell him this is dangerous, but don't worry. And almost like almost like Gandalf's telling him not to worry, but you get the sense that Gandalf is a little bit worried about it. Yeah, and um, I ha- I mean re- uh, reading that back again, I think I just noticed that. It's not necessarily that Gandalf knew all the time about the power of the ring and everything and the dangers. It's that he also doesn't know. And he, in the time between when he leaves now and when we next see him in, in the next chapter, he is learning more about the yeah. ring. Yeah, that's that's where we leave off chapter one, a long expected party. Uh, do you have any final thoughts or anything you'd like to share about um, that chapter or the prologue? I'm just curious if you feel like having not read The Hobbit, if you've missed something or if you got enough backstory that you, you know, it was fine that you still. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I feel totally fine. I, I mean, I definitely feel like it would be something that if I had read The Hobbit first, um, that I would be able to pick up on Easter eggs or these small connections would make more sense. But I think given the fact that this this part of the story is more about Frodo, that it won't be too big of a deal if I only watch, if, I mean, if I only, um, if I don't read The Hobbit first. Right, yeah. Yeah, you'll be totally fine. Yeah. And also, just going off of the movies, they made the Lord of the Rings movies first before they made the Hobbit movies. So I think if I think if the Hobbit was so directly tied to um, the Lord of the, I mean, it it is a direct tie, but it's not like you said how he didn't consider it a sequel. Um, it right. it does feel like it's a different, you know, it's a different story in the same world for sure. And they'll be fun. Like when you get to the Hobbit, there'll be fun little parallels between this chapter. And the first chapter of The Hobbit to just the way they're structured and also even just the names of the chapters. Um, there's there's a lot of connections that way. And like I said before, I really think this is a, a bridge between the two stories. And, and like you said, you don't really need to know that much about Bilbo. This really is more of a sending off of Bilbo and an introduction to this ring with its strange power, really. Yeah. Yep, definitely. Well, um... That brings, yeah, that brings us to the close of our episode here. Thank you so much for joining me, Casey. Uh, what would you like to plug? Sure. Well, I just want to say thank you, Mary Clay. This was so much fun. I love talking about Lord of the Rings. So this was awesome. Uh, you guys, if if you're interested, I have a podcast that I uh, co-host with my wife. It's called Hello from Elsewhere. We talk about uh, movies mostly, but sometimes books, uh, sort of talking about the themes of stuff, Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, it all comes up and uh, we have a lot of fun over there. So check us out. Hello from elsewhere. We're on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you find your podcasts. So Yeah. And it's, it's really great. And I started, I started listening to one of the episodes, but I had to stop because you guys started talking about Lord of the Rings. Oh. 
<laughs> we don't bring it up so much that hopefully you can listen to the ones that aren't Lord of the Rings related, but uh, it does come up sometimes for sure. So yeah, sorry. Yeah, I that. had to just, um, I had to like just mute my computer for a bit and like unmute it yeah. periodically to be like, are they still talking about it? No. Okay, I'm good. <laughs> so yeah, go check it out. That's what I'm talking about is a production of Bacon and Eggs. You can learn more about Bacon and Eggs and everything they do at baconandeggs.media. You can find the podcast on Instagram and Twitter at Tolkien About Pod. The artwork is by Vaishan Brandon. Go support him on Instagram at graphite.vmb. He's awesome. And, I, and I'm obsessed with the cover art. Casey, you haven't seen it yet, but you'll see it no, soon. No, but I know Vaishan's work and he's awesome. So I'm super excited yeah. to, to see it. Oh my gosh. I really like, I was like, is it a little narcissistic for me to frame the cover art for my own podcast? But... <laughs> It's really awesome. I love it. Um, And you can find me on Twitter at mcwatt416. Almost messed up my own Twitter handle. (laughs) And I'm on Instagram as well, at mcturndownforwatt. Thank you so much again, Casey, for joining me. Yeah, thank you. And that's what I'm talking about. 